0: Welcome to Tax Bites for Expats, the top tax tips you want to know as an expat. The podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland. Complex taxes explained simply. We'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time, money, and stress. Hi everyone, this is Steph. Our guest for this week, Mark Westlake, shared a lot with me in this recording, so we decided we were going to split it into two parts. In this episode, we are introduced to Mark, and mainly we speak about why maximising money shouldn't be your goal. We talk about inheritance taxes, Section 72 policies, and plenty more. Hope you enjoy this episode as part one, and we'll see you in two weeks for part two. Now, let's get into the episode. Everyone, hope you're well. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're joined by Mark Westlake, who's a chartered financial planner and the managing director at Everlake. The Everlake team are a financial services business that has particular knowledge of helping people with their financial issues when they're moving to Ireland from places such as the US, the UK and South Africa. Mark brings a fresh and welcome injection of professionalism and scientific rigour to wealth planning in Ireland. He's worked in, as an independent financial planning consultant since 1994 and today he specialises in portfolio management, pensions, and tax and estate planning. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us, Mark.
1: Thanks very so much, Stephanie. You're very welcome. This is a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, great to be able to have a chat. So I think we've got lots to talk about. Um, I know we were talking before we started record about, you know, just how big this space is. Maybe before we do that, because uh, I don't think I've done the, your intro um, justice, tell us a little bit about Everlake um, so people can kind of, you know, get an understanding as to where you come from, what what services you provide and what work your team does.
1: That's, that's a very good question. Thanks for that. So, yeah, so Everlake was formed... Quite recently, as a merger of two businesses, an, an existing business that I already had running in Ireland since 2008, which was a sort of boutique wealth management tax based service to essentially families and, and uh, foreign nationals that had moved to Ireland. And the reason I picked that particular niche is because it, it was me you know, and I I'm come from the UK. I am blowing and I've, I've literally moved myself from the UK to Ireland in 2008. So, you know, I sort of picked that niche as being something that I could talk authoritatively about in the first person. And having been a financial advisor in the UK for 15 years, it sort of meant I had the expertise on both sides of the Irish Sea. So it just made sense. Now, obviously the rate limiting factor is that's not everybody in the country, although according to the last census, I think about 20% of the population of Ireland are foreign nationals. So it's one in five people you meet on the street is in fact a blow-in uh, statistically. So it is a big market and that's why we then started to extend. And again, the obvious markets for us were the US. I went to Penn State University for a year. Um, we have a very close working relationship with a, a firm in the US that's about $100 billion assets under management. So a very, very large specialist firm that specializes in expat US citizens living around the world so they were a natural fit for for working on that side of the border and our asset management partner is based in Johannesburg so the South African connection was very obvious I've just come back from a conference in May this year I was down in Stellenbosch uh, on a vineyard attentively listening to speakers for two days and being distracted by the wine um, which was very very fulfilling and so yeah so, so ever like then the it quite merged with, with a business called Ethical Financial, and I always say the clue is in the name. Um, ethical was formed in Ireland in 1997 by Ray McNicholas, who was the first person to bring a socially responsible ethical fund into the country. It has grown significantly over the years, and obviously with climate change and the issues around sustainable investing has become much more important for everybody. We needed some rigor and some some experience and depth there in that field, so that was a natural fit for us in terms of, of our sort of investment piece. Now, obviously, not everybody wants to invest sustainably, but we all have to live sustainably, so it helps us with our with our conversations with our clients about you know what's important to them about money if they've children and family for the future. You know, most of us are a little bit concerned at the moment about what's going on, so that was another piece. So, so if, if you said what's what's our sort of unique characteristic, our defining characteristic as a firm, it's it's really tax, which is why we keep talking so much. We also say that investing is, it's like Warren Buffett says, it's like dieting. The concepts are very simple, but that doesn't make it easy. And certainly, I would say without fear of contradiction, investing in Ireland is more complicated than any other country in the world. The mistake a lot of people make is to just assume that they can leave things where they are in the country where they're coming from, and everything will be fine. And I can say, that's not the case. It's an absolute huge mistake to make.
0: I I think it's interesting what you say there, and I'm sure you hear this You know, not to kind of scaremonger, but it is interesting when people react. They hear about the Irish tax system, how it works, how certain foreign investments are are taxed, and you sometimes kind of see the penny drop where they go, "Wow, this is not how it was where I'm coming from." there's lots of commentary out there about you know changes that could be made to the Irish tax system, that's great, but we have to work with what we have. (laughs) And I think you know having a financial advisor who's cognizant of the issues that to me it's just so so worth it because you know it's quite a niche space it's it's great that in the market there is you know firms like yours helping people navigate this
1: yeah and i wouldn't say that's normal i mean yeah your, your typical sort of financial advisor in ireland it looks like a financial advisor from the uk from the early 90s there is no commission ban in ireland the insurance companies dominate the market in terms of products. And products are sold to consumers via intermediaries for commissions. Australia doesn't look like that. South Africa doesn't look like that. Holland doesn't look like that. India doesn't look like that. The UK doesn't look like that. Ireland's standing alone in a sea of countries that have professionalised and said, hang on a second, there's a conflict of interest here. You know, investment products that are sold for commission, there is a conflict of interest. The bigger the commission, the bigger the conflict of interest. Let's do something about it with regulation. hasn't happened here.
0: What is the basis then normally, Mark? What's the fee structure then in these other locations?
1: So, I mean, South Africa is a good example. South Africa professionalized on its own without being told to do it. A a group of forward-thinking financial planners just decided one day the future wasn't to be dependent on commissions from a product producer, but to actually have a relationship with their client. And I mean, you have an accountancy background. I mean, it's just normal for professionals like lawyers and accountants to say, well, we have a letter of engagement with our client. It sets out what our services are, what our fees are, what they're going to get for that, and and how it's going to work. The, the relationship with, a, with a, a broker, a financial advisor, in, in jurisdictions where commissions are still available is that the client comes last in the pecking order. So the starting point is the product manufacturer who produces a branded product that can be sold by salespeople. And the central bank, the regulator in Ireland, even describes financial advisors as salespeople. And those products are sold for commissions to consumers. So the consumers in mm-hmm. last in the heap. Now, in any business that's worth it So you put the client first. You say, well, start with the client. What do they need? They need solutions to problems. Tax is a huge, complex problem in Ireland, and it isn't solved by being sold a product by, by a salesperson. It's solved by thinking about what you're trying to achieve with your money.
0: I, I completely agree. And you'll see this as well. Like, we'll often work with clients, and people will often say, where should I invest? Where should I put my money? And I, I, I work backwards and go, well, how much of that income would you like to access and how will that be taxed? Because essentially there's different tax bands in Ireland that can apply to income, depending on your level of income, the type of income, your, your domicile status, a lot of factors. It's not an easy question to answer. And therefore, I agree with what you're saying. You're saying if we incentivise people to offer those products purely on commission, you remove the questions that get the client the best
1: outcome. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and, and I mean, there's, there's probably a bigger question. I, I, I always sound like the, the most flahula advisor Pfizer in, in the country. Because I actually encourage people to enjoy the money. I actually encourage people to spend it. So so my starting point is actually begin with the end in mind and work backwards. And, and Warren Buffett put it beautifully in one of his shareholder letters recently. He says, you know, if you don't know how to live, lead your life, write your own eulogy and write backwards. You know, start at the back and say, what do you want people to say about you? What do you want to have achieved? Where do you want to have been? What do you want your children, your family and friends to say about you? Be that person. And, and actually, when you, you look at it, most people are, are actually saying, well, I'm saving money. And I'll ask the question, what are you saving for? And they say, I don't know, just more. So the, the goal here is more money. Well, there's no prizes for being the richest person in the graveyard. You can't take it with you. Hmm. So that's not a sensible goal. Enjoy it, you know.
0: You know where that comes up very frequently for us. And this is probably not something that you would easily put on an advisory memo but it's something that comes up in conversation with clients is that you know okay so what we're saying here is you need to think about your investments before you come to ireland the tax system can sometimes lead to outcomes you haven't anticipated but one of the things that sometimes clients will say is, oh, but okay, well, what if I'm not a resident or I leave my family in Haute or Malahide or wherever it might be, and I'll become a non-resident and spend most of my year outside of the country to avoid paying tax. And generally what we say to them is, okay, we've run this cog cal- for clients before. One client, they're a high net worth individual. They were going to save about 60,000 euro a year in taxes. And when they quantify that, They were willing to pay that cost to live the life they want to live. And I think that's exactly to your point is, you know, enjoy your money, make it work, but live your life because really you can't bring it with you. If the cost of coming to Ireland is that you have to pay a little bit more taxes, we'll make that decision on an informed basis. And then it really is easier to swallow, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it, it's it's one of the reasons I'm not a chartered accountant. I was doing the chartered accountancy exams in the UK and the question came up on a tax paper, a couple of divorcing, for tax reasons, who should have the children? And I just thought, well, that's not the career for me. <laughs> who lives like this?
0: I'd <laughs> call a if I saw that question on a paper.
1: <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> no, I think it was a joke. But, you know, you can, see the, you can see where that logic comes from. It's like, what about the children? Can we put them somewhere in the, in the mix of, of what's important? It's just bonkers, you know. So, but I think people think about money in those terms. It's like, you know, as you said, let's live abroad and away from the family. You know, people who work in the Middle East, you know. And then, oh, I'm earning tax-free. And you sort of say, well, OK, so your choices are leave the family in Ireland and, and go and make the money or take them with you. And if you take the family out to the Middle East, they're not going to be happy. You know, that's 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 a hard life. It's a hard life for a woman. It's a hard life for a family. So
0: Oh, 100 percent. One hundred percent. And and all these situations come up. And, and, you know, like one of the other things that I kind of like to communicate to anybody listening to this is that you know, one of the things we try to do is, and I, I think you're very similar in terms of how you operate, let's run the numbers. Like, let's actually give you an estimate of what this looks like because I think what happens is, and, and I do this, but lots of things, we all become a Google warrior. We all Google what's going to happen. You know, it's a little bit like when you Google, I have a headache and the internet tells you you have cancer. Like, it's, it's don't jump to the conclusion without the help of people who have helped you get to that point because you may make a wrong decision. And my comment to clients is sometimes it doesn't always have to be as bad as you think it's going to be. The internet will tell you that in Ireland, we have a 55% tax rate. That only applies in certain circumstances. There's not even that many people who get caught by that. You know, of course, we do have a margin rate of fifty-two percent, which is a stinger. But when does it kick in? You know, what can you use to reduce that? And I'm sure that's the type of thing that comes up in 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 your work with your clients. You know, how can we create um, a holistic outcome for you suited to your requirements?
1: Yeah, again, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I'm I'm a financial planner, right? So I'm a chartered financial planner in the UK. I'm a certified financial planner in Ireland. And whilst I identify professionally as a financial planner. I've never met anybody who has a financial goal. We're back to the more is better argument, you know, and 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 money's not the end destination. People have what I think of as lifestyle goals. How do you want to live? When do you want to retire? What your education in the future do you want for your children? Do you want to help them with house deposits? Lifestyle goals that have financial implications. How are you going to pay for this? Okay, so a competent financial plan is actually what I, I call a one-page financial plan which is just a picture, and it's, we have a piece of software to do it, and it's just a fancy version of Excel. But we put up a one-page picture, which takes somebody's current resources and the rate at which they're spending, net of tax, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We make some reasonable assumptions, which I can say now, without fear of contradiction, will all turn out to be wrong with the benefit of hindsight. but It doesn't make the process any less valid. We make a bunch of assumptions about how things should work normally. And what we're able to do is project their current finances out to, say, age 100 right? So we, you know, my father-in-law's an engineer, my father's an engineer. The, f- the phrase from engineering is measure everything twice, but cut it once. So average life expectancy is 84. It means 50% of us can live longer than that. Let's go out to age 100. So we project everything out to age 100. And what it shows is how much net worth somebody will have on their 100th birthday based on their current expenditure, current income, their projections into the future. And if that graph is going up and up and up and up exponentially to 20 million, we've seen regularly, right? it's, I'll say to the client, you've lived your life wrong. And they'll say, well, I'm only 52. How can you say that? I say, well, because on the current trajectory, all you're going to end up with is a massive tax bill when you die. This isn't if you die. It's when you die. Revenue is going to take about a third of that. So if you don't have an estate plan, don't worry. Revenue, have got one for you. What do you want to do differently? And people will say, well, I, I just feel if I do another few years, because there's no concept of you're already there. You can get off the treadmill of work. you stop being a wage slave. You've made work optional. Nobody's ever told them that. Nobody's ever showed them that. And we give people, it's it's the one time when we get to ring a bell in someone's life and say, stop what you're doing. And the way we do it is we just turn off their salary and say, you've just made yourself unemployed. And it almost makes no difference. In most instances, it makes no difference to their quality of life. And the reason is because they're working to save and pay tax. And all the software does is it stops doing that and starts spending the money they've got. And I rarely see anybody run out. Wow, yeah. And you say, well, why are you working? They say, because I thought I needed to. Nobody told me it was okay to stop. I said, well, I've just said, you know. And that's not to say on Monday morning you go in and retire. But could you imagine what it does to your mental health, knowing that you could if you wanted to?
0: C- completely. And, and you know what? I think what you're saying there is you give people choices because...
1: Empowering them.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean? Because there's probably a cohort of people who are like, well, I kind of like my job or I like having something to do. That's fine. You know, work less or work in a location you like or work for less.
1: But well, charity.
0: Choice is powerful, isn't it? You know, and, and that's, that's exactly it, is that sometimes what people want they're like, what is it I should do? But the answer is you could do lots of things. What is it you want to do? <laughs> and that's really where you kind of get, I think, to the best outcome. And I love seeing it when people kind of realise that, you know, something isn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. Or some. I mean, the best is when you help people avoid terrible outcomes. I mean, there is something, I think, great about that. And and your point there about, you know, if you're dead and the estate, a third of it goes to revenue. Uh, I had this out with my dad the other day. He He, he said to me, But hold on a second. Like if, you know, if I've earned income and then, you know, the next generation pay 33% on it, hasn't it essentially been taxed twice? And I was like, yeah, it has. Like, you know, really, you don't want to leave a massive estate tax bill because it is double taxation at its finest at a very, I mean, we have that in lots of ways in our tax system, but it feels worse, doesn't it, at that point when you're passing it on?
1: Well, it does. and and the, the, The phrases I use is the difference between voluntary capital and involuntary capital. So voluntary capital is money that you spend or give away during your lifetime because you can choose where it's allocated. Involuntary capital is money that's taken from your estate on your death and spent as just part of the general budget. I drive around Dublin all the time thinking, well, could somebody fix that hole in the road instead of sticking up another range of plastic bollards? It's are you getting value for money and all the money that's being spent? Now, we all have to pay taxes. I get that. But as Thomas Jefferson says, you know, the only thing in life that's certain is and taxes. So it's a very soft target for revenue to go after. And if you think about it from a psychological point of view, you're not really paying. It's your heirs and successes. It's your family. It's your, you know, it's not, your problem, it's their problem. And in order for you to do something that makes another person better off at your expense, you've got to be quite quite definition of prey to optimality in e- economics. You, you're making other people better off at your own expense. That, that's hard to do.
0: Tell me your opinion on uh, Section 72 policies.
1: <laughs> I may have a view. <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, I re- oh, you've laughed. So I reckon it's a good view um, because I, I obviously don't sell them. I, I refer people on to consider them. I generally view that they're probably very expensive. I have a viewpoint of a Section 72 policy being exchanging cash now mm-hmm. for less tax in future. OK, so that's one way to think about it. For anybody listening, a Section 72 policy is a reference to Irish gift and inheritance tax legislation that provides that certain insurance policies that are approved by the revenue commissioners can be used to fund inheritance tax bills. So what that means is, to Mark's point, you have to hand over 33% of your estate. That's not exactly correct in every situation, but the the rate is entirely correct. The Section 72 policy would pay that tax bill for the beneficiary. So you could, in theory, pay your kids' taxes for them. What do you think of those policies? Because you'll see what they cost and how they work.
1: Yeah, so... So let's, let's take one step back, because you did make a point about people dying. So, I mean, Winston Churchill is often quoted about uh, the need for life insurance, right? He said, you know, paraphrasing, if I had my way, I'd write the word insure on the door of every house in the land. For people with families, and I've just literally just been to meet a widow just recently, where there's, where there's an insurable interest and where there's a need to arrange life insurance as a contingency for a catastrophic event that could blow up a financial situation for a family, I think life insurance is really, really important. It's relatively cheap when you're young. Uh, relative to the, the payout, it's extremely valuable. As one actuary friend of ours said, it's uh, actually designed to be guaranteed not to be enforced at the time of a claim, right? So essentially, you're taking out as just-in-case cover, but the chances of you ever claiming that during your lifetime are so slim that the price of, and I'm talking about term assurance here, is, is very low. What you're describing is what's called guaranteed life assurance, as distinct from insurance. And an assurance policy is assured to pay out. It will pay out when you die. So there is a guaranteed element. And I struggle with guarantees as a financial advisor because they're very rare in my life. Most things that we do are not guaranteed. So somebody comes along and says, there is a guarantee with this. My immediate reaction as an economist is to say, who's paying for it, right? And it's definitely not the insurance company because the insurance company actually is better at maths than we are. So you can pretty much be sure it's the client that's going to pay for it. So you've got a guaranteed benefit in the future, which will pay out for a fixed premium and the premium is worked out so that the insurance company makes money from it. Now, interestingly, r- in the past, very recent past, interest rates were so low, that there was a mispricing between the cost of the cover and the payout. And you've got to remember, because you're an accountant, benefit from the life insurance policy is free from personal tax. There's no capital gains tax, no income tax, no, CAT, uh, sorry, no CGT, no exit tax, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gross policy. So you're getting gross rolled up for the whole of your life, And a payout, which is written essentially under Section 72, which means it's used to the extent that it's used to pay the CAT, it's actually got a 33% CAT benefit. So once you factor in the tax benefits on that, for people who don't need it and can afford it out of surplus income, it's actually not a bad idea. For everybody else, it becomes this increasingly expensive dead weight that they've got to carry through their 80s and 90s. And at the point where it usually probably were just about to pay out, most of these things have been abandoned. And they've been abandoned for various reasons, they just can't be. They can't afford them, people forget why they took it out, circumstances change, they've given away the assets. So I don't like really, really long-term inflexible policies with no get out jail free card. There's no exit from that, there's no cash value, they don't acquire a cash value. Some of these things have been designed in the past to acquire a cash value, which is what's called a unit-linked policy. They're terrible and the reason they're terrible is that the premium is also linked to the performance of the fund. So if the fund does very badly, your premium goes through the roof and you can't afford it. I don't like them. There are better ways of doing it. If you came to me and said, look, Mark, I've got a client They're you know, in their fifties, they've got a couple of children, they've got a lot of money and we want to do some estate planning. I'd say, well, you know, have we thought about a family partnership, for example, could they maybe lend some money to the children, the children invest it in their name in the next generation, all that growth is going to be free from CAT because it's already in the kid's name. And the loan can be, forgiven in installments by the parents and turned into gifts, which turns it into a capital event, uh, or they can have it repaid back to them, which is a form of income, and bless them, remember I mean, you can't tax you spending your own money. So it's a potentially very tax-efficient income back to the parents and a very potentially simple solution to a very complicated problem. We prefer that approach, certainly for people with a decent amount of money, a you know, million euro plus, that's definitely the way to go. Um, rather than a section 72 so yeah it's a roundabout answer to i really don't like section 72 policies the motivation for selling them is the very very high upfront commissions that they pay we're back to where we started yeah conflict of interest
0: exactly so you're saying tell me the problem i'll give you a solution not here's my solution for your potential problem um okay that's really interesting particularly the the financial kind of explanation around how they work and how they're priced and terrible to think of someone abandoning that after paying into it all that time that would be heartbreaking thanks for listening to part one of my interview with mark westlake next time we'll hear from mark about optimizing your pension scheme for maximum benefits how you can diversify your pension across your lifetime and then a little bit about how younger generations approach money thanks for listening in and we'll see you next time thanks for listening to tax bites for expats Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.